I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real scientists answer your beauty questions and give you an insider's look at the beauty product industry. This is episode 205. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and joining me today is a special guest host, Sarah Bellum. Hey, Sarah. Hi, Perry. Hi, Beauty Brains community. Boy, you've been with this Beauty Brains for a long time, just always in the background there. (laughs) You know. (laughs) Remember those first episodes of The Beauty Brains that we uh, did together? It's a distant memory, Perry. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, they were we were uh, pioneers in the sure, beauty podcasting sure. industry. We so. definitely were, definitely were. Well, Valerie is out traveling today. I think she's in Las Vegas or something. Probably uh, gambling away her money on blackjack <laughs> or something. <laughs> Who knew there was so much travel in being a I know. chemist? She's yeah. a busy lady. So on today's episode, I thought we would try something a little different. So I was looking through our backlog of all these questions that have been sent in, and you know, there's a lot. In fact, some of them have been around since like last April. So I thought we could try to go through and do a rapid fire answer show to kick off the new year. There are still some audio questions that I'll save for a future show, but in this show, I'm going to just get us to do like a rapid answer to a bunch of questions. It'll be a bit like what you did on our Insta story back in December. You remember the Insta I story? I do. I'm a big fan of the Insta story. Now, unfortunately, we didn't save it, but <laughs> next time we will save it. Incidentally, we're going to do another one of those in soon. So if you want to follow us on Instagram, we're at the Beauty Brains 2018. Uh, and then you'll be able to see our next Insta story. All right. Anyway, we've got a potpourri of questions and topics, and we'll answer them in the rapid-fire system. Uh, but first, how about some of that inane chit-chat that we're so famous for? <laughs> how are your holidays, Sarah? Oh, they were they were good. You know, yeah. relaxing. Nice to have a little time off of work, you know. Sure. Are you really psyched for this uh, coming New Year? You know, I, uh, I enjoy a new year in the 2020. I like the sound of it. But January in Chicago can be a little tedious. But, you know. You know, it's interesting. 1990 is as far away from 2020 as 2050 is. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> How were your holidays, Perry? Oh, they tell were, any off-color jokes uh, while you're on the break. They were wonderful. I tried to stay away from the off-color jokes and the political talk, so there was no nobody threw a drumstick at anybody. Yeah. Um, That's always good. You know, what I love about January is coming up with uh, my new goals. I was reviewing my goals from last year. You know how many goals I had? How many? I. Uh, I, I cut it back a little bit. I had 138 goals. It seems pretty ambitious. <laughs> well, you know, I just there's nothing I really want to cross out. But so I was looking through it, uh, how I did with my goals, and I completed uh, about uh, 22% of my goals. Mm. Although I made significant progress on over 50% of my goals, which I see, I see that as a win. Yeah. Well. That's quite a list. I, I mean, just to make that list would take me half a year. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of my goals was to uh, play the ukulele more, so. All right, so I can cross that off. <laughs> so at least I've done that. All right, before we get into our rapid-fire response to beauty questions, I thought we'd talk about this beauty article uh, that uh, I stumbled on. Mm. This article was titled, 
how accurate are those beauty product DNA tests? And it was posted on the Huffington Post. You, you know the Huff Post. Of course, yeah. of course. So anyway, they were pondering whether beauty products formulated with your DNA profile in mind were actually effective. They gave examples of this company, Strands Hair Care, which gets your DNA profile from a sample of your hair, and they use that to formulate the products for you. There's another skincare product uh, company called Origin, with the E at the end is background, and it's like a three, so Orgy 3N. <laughs> you know, tip number one, when you're creating a beauty brand, make it something people can pronounce. Yeah. Fair, fair. Anyway, this uh, company, they offer a beauty product advice for skincare based on the results of your DNA testing, like that 23 and sure, testing. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. Now, the, in the article, they did this standard two sides things where they had an expert in favor of the technology and then sort of one who was more skeptical of that one. Um, and, of course, the people who were in favor of it were selling products yeah, 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 <laughs> or they're you know or they yeah. were selling dna consultation sure. and the the expert in this one she used a lot of science planning and conducted and and she of course concluded that it definitely worked really <laughs> yeah it was only worked. like 70 or 80 dollars to get your dna checked and then her suggestions for some sort of serum or something <laughs> hmm. uh, the article also offered a reference to a 2018 paper published in the journal Clinical Cosmetics and Investigational Dermatology, and they suggested that research supported the use of individual DNA testing for cosmetic applications. Now, I went through and read that article. Just a little tip uh, for you folks out there. Uh, often you'll see uh, an article reference a science paper, uh, but then they kind of get the science paper wrong. They don't sort of explain. And in that that article uh, did not say that, uh, you know, testing your DNA will give you a good skincare uh, routine. It just said there's some possibilities that is going to be helpful. Um, anyway, at present, I don't really think knowing your DNA profile is going to be terribly helpful with uh, somebody formulating your, uh, you know, your cosmetic products. Sure. There are a lot of things going against this DNA testing for your skin or hair, but the main thing to me is that we have formulators who really have no idea what to do with that information. I mean, what what if you knew, like, okay, they had 10 genes for collagen production, so now how are you going to change your skin lotion? I, right, I, right. I have no idea how yeah. you do it. yeah. yeah. The hair ones are really funny to me because it's pretty much, you know, how can you change a hair formula to address some genetic thing about your hair. I, I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't really seem to make sense. And even the DNA testing, the ancestry type testing kits. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, what's the a word I'm looking for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and really, you can't, the, the thing is, as a consumer, you can't really disprove it. You know, you have this information and, you know, okay, right. but what do you do with it? Right. Um, and I think this is an issue that, you know, we face a lot. We have this information, but it's not really actionable at this point. But this really does feed into this trend, this broader consumer trend of people wanting customization. So um, then we see this in vitamins. I don't know if you've heard of these vitamin packs where they, same thing, you fill out a questionnaire and you get a pack of vitamins created for your right, whatever right. deficiencies. It's all a bit of marketing 
you know, BS in my opinion, but it, you know, people want to feel like these products are designed for them. Um, and I think we could, we will get more sophisticated in this regard, but as of now, I wouldn't spend $80 for a DNA skin cream. I can tell you, you know, the other problem with these DNA tests to predict what products you should use is it a lot of what you should use is based on the environment that you're involved in or like what treatments did you hear. I thought of the example of, say there are identical twins. So mm-hmm. now you have the same DNA. Um, and one of the identical twins got their hair bleached and the other one didn't have their hair bleached. Right. You wouldn't make the same product for them. Now, even though they have the same DNA, yeah. you're not going to make them the same product. It's an excellent, excellent so point. I yes. think that's probably the biggest flaw in that. But no doubt these products are going to continue to gain in popularity, mm-hmm. or at least I think more companies will be launching them coming yes. soon. Yes. But, you know, as, as far as I can tell, it's, it's still pretty much a marketing gimmick. Yes. All right, before we go to the rapid fire response segment, I thought we would start with an audio question that was sent to us a little while back. This one comes to us from Sunny, and it's about sunscreen. Oh! (laughs) Hey there, beauty brains. Thank you so much for all of you do. You guys have saved me a lot of money over the past couple of years. I had a question about sunscreen reapplication. So I was researching products that I could use on my face to reapply sunscreen over my makeup because I thought, well, I'm putting the sunscreen on my face and then products on top of it, but after two hours, it's useless. Well, I came across somewhere on the internet something that maybe if the sunscreen isn't exposed to the sun, that it's actually still good and can last all day. Like the, the sunscreen is used up by being exposed to the sun. So if you're an office worker like me, in fact, that your makeup could last all day, or sorry, your sunscreen could last all day under your makeup. And Paula's Choice had some stuff to say about it, but I was just wondering what to believe now. Do I actually need a product to spray on my face to be able to reapply my sunscreen if I'm just inside all day? Super curious to hear your thoughts. Thank you so much. Well, Sunny, I like your question um, about sunscreen, and I appreciate that you are a regular user of sunscreen. Um, it's so the best anti-aging thing you can do, right? Absolutely. That or don't smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Smoke. It's about yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I think there's still we look at the majority of the population still really only apply sunscreen. You know, if they're going to be at the beach all day, and even then, that's debatable if people are doing that. So I, I run outside every day, and I rarely. But that's a, that's mm. I do in the summer, yeah. but I never yeah. do in the winter. Yeah. So, even though I should, yes. You should, yeah. you should. And especially, um, you know, there's, you're getting UV exposure regardless of it, whether it's warm or cold, right? You so, know, my, my wife got me this hyaluronic acid thing that I've been using. Oh, since, uh, wow. wow. Yeah, I was going to say, you do look, you do look, you know, years younger. It's, yeah. It's, uh, maybe I don't even need the sunscreen now. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a digression. How about back to Sunny's question? Yes, yes. So, you know, Sunny, the idea of reapplying sunscreen is not really because the sunscreen breaks down. In fact, most sunscreens don't break down when they're exposed to sunlight. Rather, it's really about 
people not putting enough sunscreen on initially. So um, according to Dr. Stephen Q. Wang, the director of dermatology at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, the advice to reapply is really because people don't put enough on. Um, you know what? Uh, you know, I've actually met Dr. Stephen Wang. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He's out in New York and we, we chatted at a cocktail party once. You're very well connected. <laughs> uh, you know. I've heard you met Dr. Oz. I, I was on the show a couple of times. <laughs> Man, um, you should get an agent. Um, so really, you know, getting uh, getting people to reapply often is really to compensate for the fact that they're not putting enough on initially. Now, certainly if you're at the beach or somewhere where you're getting wet, salt from the ocean, you know, that sunscreen can break down that film. So you will want to reapply. But yeah. going to the office, if you're putting enough sunscreen on initially, you shouldn't need to, to reapply throughout the day, particularly if you're not getting exposed to much um, UV in the first place. Um, so I think the final beauty rinse takeaway is you don't need to worry about reapplying if you're just going to be indoors. I doubt you notice any difference. Um, but if you are somewhere where you're sweating or getting wet, you know, reapplication is definitely necessary. Now, the, the sunscreen man manufacturers, of course, they want you to reapply often. Of course. Of course. I mean, it really, there's no harm in right, it. Right, but, you know, if you're inside all day, um, you know, I don't think it's it's something to be super concerned right. about. I mean, there might be harm to your wallet. But that's yeah. <laughs> all right. Shall we get into this? It's a new experiment for us. All right. Um, we just got a, a series of questions. We're going to do, you know, longer-ish, shorter-ish answers to them. <laughs> and maybe we could cover these on a different show. But I thought we'd try to get through as many questions as we can. All right. So our first question comes to us from Ayu. Ayu asks, what is the science behind the claim that vitamin E and ferulic acids stabilize vitamin C, the L-ascorbic acid version? And is there ever a shelf-stable formulation of L-ascorbic acid? Wow, it's quite a question. Yeah, it's a formulating question. I see this a lot. Well, there was a paper published in the Journal of Investigatory Dermatology back in 2005 titled Ferulic Acid Stabilizes Solution of Vitamin C and E and Doubles Its Photoprotection of Skin. So that's probably where this thing started. Um, and, you know, what happens is the marketer would see this and they say, hey, let's put ferulic acid in our vitamin C. It stabilizes it. Well, I looked at the paper and it claimed that a 15% solution of vitamin C and a 1% solution of vitamin E were stabilized. And the photoprotection of this solution of the skin was improved by adding 0.5% ferulic acid. Now, they showed some interesting results when the product was applied to the skin of weanling white Yorkshire pigs. Oh, poor so, it's, so it's animal testing. So if you're against animal testing, uh, stick, stay away from the ferulic acid and vitamin C. <laughs> Now, um, anyway, the, the animals that got the treatment, the, the, the combination of the three antioxidants experienced less sunburn than animals that didn't. So there was some synergistic effect with ferulic acid and vitamin C and E. And so that's probably where it comes from. Unfortunately, this doesn't mean that the products on the market with these three ingredients in them is really more shelf stable. Uh, it wasn't clear, but the researchers likely made the solutions like right away. So they mixed it up and then they applied it to the test subjects. So any product that you're going to go to buy in the store has really been sitting around for a number of weeks, maybe even months. Hell, I know somebody who made product and it's like two years later and it's still in their basement. I <laughs> 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, there are companies that will claim that they have uh, shelf-stable L-ascorbic acid formulations, but, you know, I'm skeptical, especially if the product has water in it and it's not in an opaque container. Both water and UV exposure can break down ascorbic acid. In fact, I read one paper in the November 2019 issue of Food Chemistry that showed a significant amount of vitamin C broke down within one hour of making that aqueous solution. Wow. So that's what you're up against. So, yes. I, as, as you know, I'm skeptical of the vitamin C products that you buy in the store because they just aren't stable. Yes, yes. Okay, how about we zip on? All right, so this question is, uh, vampire facials and using your blood and creams, is this really a good thing? Oh, my. I think the short answer is no. It's <laughs> not a good idea. It <laughs> At minimum, it doesn't do anything. At worst case, it's, it's potentially dangerous. It's unregulated. You don't, you're not in a medical environment. Yeah. There's no, there's absolutely no evidence that using your own blood in your facial products or injected into your face is beneficial. Yeah, I guess I, there are like dermatologists who do offer this, but then there are also like spas that do. Yeah. Like- I've noticed on Instagram, speaking of Insta stories, several yeah. people really? um, are going to spas to get their blood injected back into their face. Oh, my God. And I just, I find it alarming. Uh, there's no proof that that's going to help. All right, next question. All right, recycling. From your episode with Sarah a while back, I got the impression that recycling isn't that common in the States. Here in the UK, we recycle everything. It's ingrained into us to recycle as much as possible. And when you both mentioned paper straws on holiday, this has been the case for a while in the UK. It's been widely accepted. I just wonder if the cultures are very different. Well, recycling is a a topic of discussion here in the United States, but I think the difference is just based on the cultural norms of where you're living. Mm -hmm. The United States is actually a pretty big place, and there's different attitudes about it. Um, So recycling is done more in some places and a lot less in others. In my fair city, Chicago, uh, I don't think we have a really good recycling program. We have these blue trash cans out in the alley next to regular ones, and, you know, you're supposed to sort things, but... You know, people don't sort things properly. I think it all kind of goes into the same place, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think the emphasis on recycling has gotten better here. You know, here in Chicago, we have a plastic bag tax. So people are more encouraged to, you know, use reusable bags. Um, So we are making progress. And I know things like that have been long long the norm in in European countries in the UK. So the US is behind. But, um, you know, unfortunately, I think there's still a lot of confusion. As Perry mentioned, people throw stuff in a bin. They don't know what's, you know, do you put plastic in there? Do you put aluminum? You know, are you supposed to wash your your, your items before you put them in and the recycling And what do you do bin? with the rats that are in there? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's city wildlife. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. So I think there's just a lot of confusion and it's still not a priority to most citizens. But we are making some small steps towards improvement, but we have a long ways to go. Yeah, and there are other places in the United States. Chicago's not really good for recycling, but places like Seattle, mm-hmm. uh, California Portland, is yeah. probably much better. 
Um, it's just not part of our culture here. Unfortunately, the other problem with recycling is that even the stuff that is recycled, uh, it's actually not getting reused. They're having a hard time finding places to use it. It used to be that China would take garbage and then they would sort it for recycling. But these days, China doesn't seem to be wanting to take that stuff as much. So it's not happening uh, as often. I, I heard a story on uh, a show I listened to, Planet Money, all about this recycling and how they're having some problems with it so really all those shampoo bottles and those skin lotion containers mostly still just go up in the landfills in the u.s there is a program though uh TerraCycle. TerraCycle, yes they they will collect your shampoo yes. bottles and yes. clean them yes. and, yeah yes. and that's certainly a great one to get it's just you know uh you have to the, be uh, you have to be motivated enough to um use the service it is free but they'll send you a bag i believe and you can fill it up with your empties and send it back to them and they'll clean them and recycle them but what? We'll put a link in the show notes for TerraCycle. They're doing good work. All right. Next question. Products like Revitalash or otherwise eyelash, otherwise known as eyelash growth serums, oh, yeah. how do they work? What's the magic ingredient? Is this a good long-term solution? The story behind how this brain came about is incredibly touching, but could it really be recommended to those not in surgery? Yeah, so we actually covered eyelash growth products way back in episode 149, so I encourage you to go take a look at that. So the quick answer is that the only one of these types of products that is FDA approved uh, uses a, a, a derivative of some sort of glaucoma medicine called bimroprost, um, mm. and that ingredient was... Uh, Approved and it was proven uh, to the satisfaction of the FDA that it worked and it came out by a pharmaceutical company called Allergan and their product was called Latisse. Now, um, I I have to do a little more research on this, but I thought, Perry, that that ingredient now was available over the counter in um, eyelash serums. So you can buy them at Sephora. Um, I know that Rodana Fields has one. They're pretty pricey, yeah. but I I know people use them and, and say they work, but... Yeah, so it's... I, I think that's think that's right. Allergan, I think, they license their technology, yes, yes, yes. so other brands are making it, but everybody uses that same ingredient. Yes, now, I know thing. back uh, years ago, when we first started writing about this, it was the brand Jan Marini had an eyelash growth serum, and they were... Uh, they're, Stuff eventually got impounded because they were using a, on list, a, an illegal drug. So, uh, and I think Revitalash, when they first started out, they were kind of doing the same sort of analog thing, but wow. they might have changed their ways. So, hmm. yes, see. yes. All right, next question. What is your opinion on cosmetician brands as opposed to the big beauty brands? For example, DCL, SkinCeuticals, Zillens versus Estee Lauder, Clarence, etc. Well, you use you know those brands, right? Uh, oh, of course, of sure, course, sure. of course. Um, well, you know, what are your thoughts, Perry? Well, you know me with <laughs> with big company brands. I say you're going to find that the products. Uh, so when a big company makes a, a product, they try to make a product that is going to work for the most number of people. They do home use tests. They formulate with you know, and they try to maximize the number of people that are going to like their product. Sure. Cosmetician brands, on the other hand, they're more niche targeted and they do a lot less testing. So, you know, there might be some consumers who like them, but 
a lot of consumers aren't going to like those products. So it might not appeal to the typical consumers. Uh, for me personally, I always say when in doubt, stick with the big beauty brands. You have more of a chance of liking them. But, you know, if you find a small brand, cosmetician brand that you like, uh, they certainly, if it works for you, then it's worth doing. So when you say a lot of these cosmetician brands are made um, by contract manufacturers? Yeah, no, they're, they're made by contract manufacturers. Um, there's nothing usually particularly special about them, mm-hmm. um, although they're marketed like they're really well, special. Well, sure, and you have that that cachet that comes with, you know, that, the name, right? Right. So, um, I mean, like, that's mainly what these things are about, yeah, right? Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. So, are we ready to move on? Wait, I think we need a little transition ukulele music. Oh, still working on that goal, huh? <laughs> All right, what do you got next? Beauty Brains audience, I hope you didn't know you're going to be treated to a little uh, concert today. I, I didn't you? know either. <laughs> oh, you have a guitar. <laughs> um, next question. So, which other beauty or scientific podcast do you listen to? Well, you know, Sarah Bellum, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Yes, yes. Actually, I Perry has headphones in constantly. He should. He's going to be like a cyborg robot where they're going to get <laughs> implanted into him. Well, for podcasts, I listen to them on double speed, so you get twice as many in. <laughs> that seems healthy. Well, <laughs> I think it speeds up my brain. Mm. Uh, so, of course, um, I check in with the Fat Mascara podcast to keep up with the uh, product launches and that type of thing. Uh, now, there are sometimes they'll have interviews of people that are interesting, and yeah. so I'll, I'll listen. Sometimes I'm not really interested in the uh, particular interview that they have. And I know that there are some other body, beauty podcasts out there, like specifically along that same vein of them because the the thing about uh the fat mascara and the other beauty podcasts like that is that they focus on the uh the, the products and what they're doing but then also the characters the 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 hairdressers the uh, sure, sure. Uh, makeup artists makeup sort of artists exactly yes. that kind of thing and I don't find that as interesting. I find the science of beauty products much more interesting than like the marketing that goes on with them. And to tell you the truth, I sometimes get just a little bit frustrated when I hear people uh, parroting the marketing speak that, that I know isn't exactly right. Yeah. Like it's a little frustrating. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So, what are your you you like uh, more of the science based? Yeah, yeah. So there are a couple of science, a couple of cosmetic industry podcasts that I do listen to. Uh, but one that I follow most is uh, uh, this one called the Echo Well Podcast, which uh, actually both Valerie and I have mm-hmm. been on that show. Oh. It might not be for your typical consumer, but they often have guests that I find interesting because they really just discuss like the ingredients and the science that goes into you know, the production of raw materials sure. and that sort of thing. I could see like regular consumers be like, eh, whoa. <laughs> um, you know, other science ones that I listen to, The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. I've been listening to that one since, geez, 2005, wow. like way early in podcast world. <laughs> um, another is The Reality Check uh, on Science for the People and the Science Magazine podcast. Now, Sarah, do you listen to any podcasts? Well, I'm not a huge podcast listener other than the Beauty Brains oh, podcast. Oh, of, of course, yes, of course. So, um, never miss an episode. Never miss an episode. <laughs> um, I do sometimes listen to the Mintel podcast, Little Mintel. Conversation. Oh, Little Conversation. Oh, yeah, I listen to Mintel, Little Conversation. Yeah. They've got to do something about that uh, intro music, though. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mintel's podcasts talk a lot about what's going on from the consumer perspective and trends. So they're, they're pretty interesting yeah, as well. They do a and good of job course, here. I love This American Life. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah, and Planet right. Money. You talk How about, about Reply them. All. Oh, and I love Reply All, yeah, too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of, there's more podcasts than we have time to listen yeah, to. Yeah, absolutely. Even on Double Speed. <laughs> I think we got time for one more question. All right, last question. What are the latest advancements in cosmetic technology? I know 2019 was a trend year of retinol and biomes. What else are scientists working on? What are the big cosmetic brands scientists working on as well? Well, this is a great question, and uh, on some level, I find the answers a bit depressing <laughs> uh, because when, when I when I look at innovation in the cosmetic industry. Um, it's really hard to be innovative. I mean, you look at the products that we use now, they're really similar to the stuff that we were using 30 years ago, you know, or 20 years ago. They haven't, as far as ingredients go and performance go, they haven't changed that much. They've gotten a little bit better, but... Yeah, I would say product aesthetics have gotten better, but, you know, in terms of functionality... Yeah. It's probably not a huge difference. For sure. Um, but certainly we've seen improvements in packaging, application, aesthetics. Um, and I don't know. I mean, when you wear makeup, Perry, if you've noticed an <laughs> I do not. But as, a, as a woman, that you know, I, I've found that I think makeup is that, I mean, it's not terribly different, but I think it's easier to apply. There's some aesthetic improvements. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's less about the actual product performance. Um, but one thing that I have um, been seeing, and I think this is this is great actually is well it's not necessarily a huge innovation from an ingredient perspective we are seeing more effort, efforts towards sustainability um, so you know things that are there's been a big movement with um, and these are you know led by major beauty brands you know right. and Gamble Unilever, Unilever yeah. they're working on refills they're working oh, really? on concentrates um, so you know waterless products are less water um, you know water is the primary ingredient in a lot of beauty products and first of all, it's, you know, it's heavy. So you think yeah. about how the shipping these products right, right. and just, you know, just that, that energy that takes, obviously. And then water conservation is a bigger issue. So we're seeing more movement towards, you know, that we're, we're kind of past the Costco era of bigger is better and moving more towards smaller concentrates, yeah. refills. Um, we talked about waterless in a recent show, yeah. Yeah, so, and, and I think we're really seeing companies invest in these concepts and really taking um, ownership for making more sustainable products and more sustainable packaging. Um, and I feel like that actually consumers are finally at that point where they're they're rewarding these companies, um, you know, by, by purchasing their products. So actually paying more money for these things. Yes, yes, Because yes. often consumers are just driven by price. Absolutely. And that's still, I think, largely the case. But I do think we are seeing people you know, be a little more conscientious about where they spend their dollars and more conscious consumerism in general. Um, you know, we're seeing on Instagram, the don't buy challenges, you know, people are, even bloggers are saying, Hey, you know, don't, don't buy it unless you really need it or go back into your own makeup bag and see what you have that you can, you know, reuse. Because to your point, a lot of these products aren't that different than what you have. It just looks shiny and new because it's a new brand or new packaging. So I think we are seeing efforts both in the social media world and the, the uh, corporation world um, moving towards a little more sustainable purchasing behavior. Yeah. And as far as what the companies are with technology, there's always going to be work going on to try to find the next new anti-aging actives. The things that are available now 
have been around for a long time. There hasn't been any real, you know, effective anti-aging thing. There's some story ingredients mm-hmm. like snake or yeah. the, you know, the snake venom extract. Yeah. Or well, I've been hearing a lot the, about adaptogens. Adaptogens. Uh, that's what epigenetic stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those, those things that, you know, all of those things are interesting stories and they might pan out, but the science is just way too soon on mm-hmm. that, right? Yes. And, of course, preservatives, when I go to these trade shows, I see, you know, everybody's trying to come out with the new green paraben-free preservative, Mm -hmm. even though parabens are perfectly fine. But (laughs) We are um, approaching the CES show 2020 in Las Vegas. In fact, maybe, yeah, Yeah. in fact, maybe that's where Valerie is. I don't know. Yeah, that is actually. Oh, oh, yeah. So maybe when Valerie gets back, she'll have some cool things to report. I know that P&G has a lot of interesting things there. They're proposing really, but, you know, again, related more to technology, obviously, not necessarily, you know, ingredients or performance. So, um, yeah. All right. It looks, uh, wait. (laughs) You hear that music? That means it's the end of the show is coming up. So why don't you take us out there, Cerebellum? All right. If you get a chance, can you go over to iTunes and leave us a review? That will help other people find the show and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. And follow us on social media. On Instagram, we're the beauty, at the Beauty Brains 2018. On Twitter, we're at the Beauty Brains. And we have a Facebook page. Hey, the Beauty Brains are also on Patreon. If you want to support the show, Patreon really is the best way to do this. This will help keep the show ad-free and is the best way to keep a financial bias out of the show. So if you like what we do and you want to see us keep doing it, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. Thanks again for listening. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everybody. Get in.